Towards the end of World War II, my country detonated atomic bombs over Japanese cities, immediately killing thousands of civilians and thousands more soon after, and maiming thousands for the rest of their lives. I was born in 1949. My generation was taught that this military action was required to end the war, and I bought it. Since 1945, our world has filled with more powerful atomic bombs, in the hope that the threat of mutual destruction will dissuade their usage. So far, besides Nagasaki and Hiroshima, we have been lucky, but for how long? I'm Alan Winson, and this year, 2023, for Passover, I walked with peace activists from Las Vegas to Creech Air Force Base, the center of U.S. drone warfare, and then to the Nevada nuclear test site, where, until the early 1990s, my country detonated over 1,000 atomic bombs. I went because I wanted to learn why, for the past 40 years, people of various beliefs and ethnicities gathered in Las Vegas to walk the 60 miles to the entrance of the Nevada nuclear test site, where armed military stopped them at a broad white line in the desert road. Why each year they went to plead for an end to nuclear armament, when the need is so dire and change so impossible. Day four of the 2023 Nevada Desert Experience Sacred Peace Walk. Why are we walking? Monday, I tried camping in the desert. That night, I learned an important lesson. Camping outside in a below-freezing desert is not for this city boy. My feet were unbearably cold, my mattress had deflated, and a wild animal was burrowing through the tent wall to eat my head, which in the morning turned out to be a windblown branch. At 4 a.m., I struggled into my pants and coat and tripped in the dark to Mary Claire's wood stove retreat and slept rapturously in the corner of her couch until the smell of coffee woke me. After that night, I slept in Mary Claire's guest bedroom for the rest of the week. You okay with a little smudgy smudge? I love it. Each day began with a call to the bonfire. While the moon set on one side of the mountain horizon and the sun rose on the other, the peace walkers would gather. We gathered around a bonfire near the camp area at the Sekhmet Temple as Ariam, who played the handpan and who I talked with the night before, led a traditional prayer for the day. Good morning, good morning to you all before your beautiful peace walk, walk in your talk. So good morning to this sun, good morning to this day. We say thank you, thank you in this way. We say thank you for 
our good health. We say thank you for these bodies that are strong, that are walking this week for their strong principles and what you have in your heart, a world of peace. And we honor you um, in this way. We want, um, we're gonna have a little bit of water here. We're gonna honor how the Western Shoshone uh, do their offerings. I'm gonna actually use a little bit of this uh, sage. The walk for this fourth day would cover the miles we skipped yesterday when we escaped the brutal desert wind and snow. We were driven back to Lee Canyon and walked to the temple. We would pass a couple of maximum security prisons on the way and the Creech Air Force Base. The next day, Wednesday, the Peace Walkers would return to the U.S. military drone base to block the entrance and get arrested. This was Tuesday. We just walked 17 miles. What are these people all in their own little cars? As we were passing Creech Air Force Base, I caught up with Brian Terrell. We're looking at uh, people leaving Creech Air Force Base at the end of a shift. Uh, some of them are drone operators, and many of them are people training uh, in, uh, to fly drones. And uh, many of these people have actually been in combat today. Some of them might have seen people die in, you know, uh, in high-definition video uh, as a result of their action, as a result of the, of the mouse that they click. Uh, and it's, uh, and they uh, uh, aren't supposed to talk to anybody about what they've seen or what they've done, not even to each other. So I'm just saying, I'm seeing there's two things I'm noticing as, as I do every time I'm here, is almost every car is a late model, expensive car, not the kind of cars that you usually see GIs driving outside of the bases. And they're given, um, big bonuses uh, to, to incentivize, to give them an incentive to, to do this work that nobody in the military wants to do. I'll call it bribes maybe, but uh, also you, it's very rare that you see anybody carpooling. This Creech Air Force Base is 40 miles from Las Vegas, but the, there's almost nobody living on the base. They, they, everybody gets an allowance to live in Las Vegas. and. Uh, there, they, uh, you see the isolation that that's, uh, extends to after their working hours. They're all traveling by themselves. They're, they're young, young men and women that, that would be, you know, usually they're gregarious and, and you know, the carpooling would be like the most natural thing, you know, the price of gas and everything else. But they're just, uh, just like uh, they're closed in little trailers out here uh, with one or two other people. Um, operating the drones and they, they, they communicate with other people but it's like a like a chat room you know as much as uh, uh, which I think a lot of us have found uh, just uh, makes us feel more empty and, and isolated sometimes uh, rather than, than seeing you know so yeah these these young men and women they don't have they're, they're not going to have the looking back the com camaraderie that, that even our veterans for peace uh, feel they have. I then spoke with Dave. He's a former member of the U.S. Air Force. His job was to load the bombs onto warplanes. Dave is now a member of Veterans for Peace. We're out here on the highway, yeah. in the middle of the desert, across the street from Creech Air Force Base, and you're holding a sign, Do We Know 
who was killed today? Uh, tell me your thoughts. Well, you know, this, uh, when you're bombing people, even by drone, uh, it's indiscriminate who dies. So, you know, they claim that only one person dies in a room uh, when they shoot a rocket in the window now, which is, I think, is totally ridiculous. But mostly bombs, the history of bombs and rockets is uh, you really don't know who's going to get it, you know. If you blow up a building, all the people in the building get it. And so it's, uh, if, if, we're, if we're killing all these people indiscriminately, don't you think we should think about who were they? You know, who, who died and why, basically? So, I don't know, maybe... You're a veteran yourself. Yes, I am. I was in the Air Force. And, uh, you know, you just... I don't know if they're realizing what they're doing, so I'm trying to connect with them a little bit. Can you see any reactions from the cars that are leaving their daily shift here at Creech? Uh, sometimes they, you can tell that they're reading the signs, and uh, I don't really... The most shocking one uh, that I had was uh, last time I was out here, I was standing on the, on the road with my sign that said, Moral Caution, Moral Injury Ahead, for the people that were coming to work. And they say that there's, uh, I actually talked to somebody who said that they, they have a lot of moral injury, these people, because it's a regular... At that point, it got so windy that the audio was useless. Dave described the psychological harm from killing people at a distance. That when a building is hit by a bomb from a plane high in the air, the pilots do not know what happens. Dave told me that the drone operators at Creech are staring at the explosion site. They can see the bodies flying apart. And they have a lot of problems with that. At some point. They have to decide at some point, you know, what you're going to do. I mean, are you going to, like when I was in, I, I, was, I was thinking at some point, maybe in the future, because I was in active duty four years, and I had to just, you know, thinking, at some point, if I stayed in, uh, are they going to ask me to kill, you know, millions of people, you know, with the nuclear weapons there all over the place? Are they going to ask me to do that, you know, enable a weapon so a pilot can take it off? And I didn't like that feeling. You serviced the planes. Yeah. So uh, I was a junior guy when I got out compared to the people that they, that they used to enable, enable the weapons, you know. But I could see it coming, man. They're going to say, oh, you're the guy. And I'm thinking, I don't want to kill all those people. Even if you're dying anyway, it's how you, you know, and I really think this is, this is where we are now, is how, how, how we live now really matters it's so much. It's, it's, and that doesn't, that's not predicated on whether we're going to be successful or not. You know, because you know, we're all going to die anyway. It's like how, how, you know, maybe we owe past generations for what, <laughs> you know, let's go with some dignity.
That night, back at the goddess temple, many of us, without meaning to, found ourselves in Mary Claire's living room. And we talked for several hours over coffee you know, and cookies. I don't want to go screaming in horror, and I want to, don't want to go thinking like, you know, just ignoring it. Some basic questions were asked about the nature of the interaction of humanity and thermal nuclear bombs. Question number one. Was it inevitable that male scientists would discover the bomb? Answer, yeah. The Manhattan Project, which is what, where this technology came from and kind of what the... Well, the crazy thing is, is if the Manhattan Project didn't happen, the, the, the Germans would have One made more. the bomb. Okay, and, yeah. And, and we would have lived in a, in a totally different reality. Yeah. That I mean, seemed to be the sacrifice. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that was, the, that was the necessity of that moment. But that's what everybody said, right? That's I mean, what they, everybody said. Heisenberg later said, you know, I was in charge of the bomb project, and in that position, you know, I, I took that job to make sure that a bomb wasn't developed. And was that true? I, Who are you talking about? Werner well, Heisenberg. Well, the was in the, yeah, maybe, but how long until they, they, they kick Heisenberg to the side because the project isn't successful? Yeah, it was, there was a certain inevitability to it with the the momentum of, of physics in the 20th century. Right, yeah. And, it, and, it, and especially under the context of a, a global conflict like World War II where it was just like this technology was on a precipice and had been building up since the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. Like, and, and that's where all of the momentum in physics was, was like developing quantum mechanics, developing nu nuclear physics, mm -hmm. and getting to this, this point of like, um, you know that that ultimate destructive utility yeah. out of that scientific momentum, and and it yeah I mean there was maybe maybe there's some alternate reality where it, somehow the invention of the bomb could have, could have been avoided, but under such a context of of uh, conflict, yeah. the 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 feeling of um, yeah, the, the motivation was just too immense. Yeah, yeah. But what about the use? Question number two. Once discovered, was it possible not to use the bomb? Answer, yeah. And there were no. a lot of people involved, and many of yeah. them were the best scientists in the world, which yeah. wasn't true with the hydrogen bomb later. Yeah. But then, right, the invention, the proliferation happened pretty quick. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, I mean, and, and also... I think, who, who was it that justified the, the, the use? They said, well, we spent all this money. You know, look, we spent all this money. They're, they're saying, do we really need to drop bombs on Japan? Japan is losing the war. The war is going to end soon. We can negotiate with, with the generals. They're trying to approach us. And, and the official statement from Truman or somebody was, Look, you know, we, we already invested $2 billion in this, you know. We, we got to have something to show for our we money in those days. You know, that that, that was what they said, you know. Yeah. Well, well, like, well, actually, the, the, I the, mean, you know, the, the, the idea that, that, that ended the war and saved lives is, is well, bullshit. Anyway, yeah. It is, is, is World War II lasted longer. Because it wasn't, it wasn't that the, the, drum, the bomb was dropped and Japan accepted the terms of, of surrender. It was... You know, the, it, it was the opposite. Is the, the bomb was dropped, and the United States said, "Is the one really who acquiesced?" Mm -hmm. And it's like they they didn't want the war to end. So a lot of the horrible 
things happening at the very end of World War II in Europe or in, in Asia happened because, you know, thousands, thousands of people died so that they could keep the war from ending before, mm. <laughs> you know, before, before they could use the bomb. It's just... Uh... Question number three. Is worldwide atomic war inevitable? And its corollary, can humans fix this problem? Answer, who knows? People would not be, would be acting not as utopians, but as honest realists. Mm -hmm. They would be preparing the future and at the same time knocking down a few of the walls that, that imprison us today. If realism be the art of taking into account both the present and the future, of gaining the most while sacrificing the least, then who can, who can fail to see the positively dazzling realism of such behavior? Neither victims nor, nor executioners, Camus, 1946. And I, I think that's like, like, we've come to a point where John Lennon could say, you know, you may say I'm a dreamer, I'm not the only one and everything. Mm -hmm. We're not the dreamers now. Mm. Who is pragmatic? Who's being realistic? You know, it's, it's not the people who are running things. Joe Biden's not a pragmatist. You know, Putin's not a pragmatist. But what you're talking about, that's pragmatism. That mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. you know, because we have no choice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's either this or oblivion. Mm -hmm. It's either, it's either we, we reorder things or there's nothing, there's, there's, there's nothing for us or for anyone. Talking about winning and losing and stuff. No, there's, there's, there's no. No matter how venal and cruel you are, you're, 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 you're not going to win. Nobody's going to win in this if, if we don't change it. Everybody's going to be a loser. So we, we are, we're the, the pragmatists, the realists. Finally. The question that interests me and is the impetus for this podcast series, why are you in the desert walking to end the threat of human annihilation by nuclear detonations when the possibility of a positive outcome is pretty hopeless? Let's begin to answer that question with Mary Claire, leader of the Sekhmet Goddess Temple. I'm just, I'm so grateful to be um to be in the midst of this conversation because I, I really do feel that the reasons for which Genevieve chose this land, or this land chose her, perhaps, um, for this really beautiful intersection of the, the, the theoretics and the maternal logics of a return to a reciprocal relational reality through the recovery of gift culture and um, gifting economics to m basically to melt the chains of of the extractive nature of capitalism, the exploitive and extractive nature of capitalism. So that's one pill to really pull from the rubble of the patriarchal or dominator culture mm. um, to kind of pull the artifacts that are just aching to become relevant mm. at this time um, with this being really at the intersection of our military-industrial complex, at this being the most bombed place on earth, and 
I think the reason I'm here and the, at the heart of my dissertation work and the recovery of gift culture is, is how if this space can be a threshold space in this, the, these liminal times in between the old story that we are witnessing, we've been called here, I think, to this planet at this time to midwife um, a, a consciousness that is a return to a reciprocal way of being in relation to the land, to the galaxy, to all of creation, to all sentient beings, where it doesn't, the, the quid pro quo of the exchange economy is, uh, is that zero sum that you're talking about. You have something I want, I give you this, these tokens, I get that thing. That's, it's, it's self-interested. You get some compensation for it, but then we're done. We have no relationship anymore. Rather than being in a space like this where everyone comes, you see this like this little, this week together is like a living laboratory for how it can work, where everyone comes with what they're passionate about, with what their gifts are, with what their interests are, and and together we look at how we can um, hold space together and nurture this space between, this liminal space, the space between and among us all, which is the infinite possibility where uh, the logic of win, lose, give, take uh, is, is completely irrelevant in that kind of new soup and field of consciousness. Um, I have no idea of any of what I just babbled about. I came here because it's, it's a good place to find hope. I came here because I, I came once before and I met wonderful people. I came here because I like being in the desert in the spring. I'm from Oregon, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, and also because it's important work. I want to do something with my life. You know what I mean? There's Mary Oliver quote in there someplace. You know, like what? Mm. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. What are you gonna do with the rest of your your one, one precious, precious life? life. You're precious, <laughs> wild, and beautiful, or something. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, so I, I came for yeah for companionship and hope and, and for, for, for those things. yeah, that's beautiful. Inspiration. I'm, I get inspired by by people who act out of conviction. You know, it's like oh, I, I love being around. Yeah, doesn't that elevate the consciousness? Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I think I'm, I harbor definitely that. What is that? I heard it. No, it's, it's we, we get that a lot. military stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We get that a yeah. lot. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
and like cynicism. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but and and I and I really don't think anybody has the answer. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody yeah, has the answer. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it's like crucial to um, enact examples of alternatives, even if they aren't the answer. You know, because without it, then there's just no imagination. You know, you have to create the, the spaces for imagination, even if it's not like a hard and fast answer. It's like opportunities for 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 different paths. I think storytelling creates that space for imagination. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very happy to be a part of this. It's, it's a happy accent, and spirit moves in mysterious ways. But I've been very, um, I, it's been very nice to hear you talk because I'm sort of on the, mm, feel like myself on the edge of hopelessness <laughs> with all of these compounding issues that it just feels easier to maybe numb yourself and go to sleep, you know? I mean, not like I'm gonna, don't worry, I'm not suicidal, but, <laughs> um, there are other ways to numb yourself and go to sleep. <laughs> right. I wasn't thinking um, that. So, I'm kind of trying to learn how to um, live with hope. We really have, I think, the choice to blow ourselves up <laughs> or uh, bear witness to the, with a kind of gratitude that the old systems have become so obviously obsolete. This being a time where Saturn is now moving into Pisces. So you've got this, this funny, they're funny bedfellows, you know, the Saturn of old structure and the Piscean that's more fluid. The hierarchical structures and the dominator culture and capitalism are, they're bedfellows, they're inextricably linked. So this is, this is a space where we begin to see how the celebration of melting that means that we can return to, uh, to a way of being where we're no longer trying to control. That moment of the atomic bomb, was we suddenly realized we were super creators like God who could destroy as well as create. And I think that rendered us quite insane and we're seeing now the extent of our insanity and our mm -hmm. capacity uh, that that if we continue to to try to harness that kind of creativity without the values of the relational reality in which we're embedded then we lose the opportunity to become our next iteration as a human species in in concert in harmony with all living beings and I, that's what I get excited about. How can we hold the space for uh, our next iteration, uh, go through this initiation phase, this squeeze, like like the birth pangs. Are we gonna make it through the birth canal or aren't we? Yeah. And uh, let's say fear not. That's what the midwives of old were. That's what the prophet said, you know, fear not. And, um, and then together we midwife one another into a way of, a new way of being on this planet.